0: Let's return in God's word this evening to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. Text for the sermon will be verses 20 through 23. We will not reread those verses. Ephesians 1 verse 1. Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named not only in this world, But also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Thus far we read God's holy and inspired word. May God add his blessing upon the reading of his holy scriptures. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul prayed on behalf of the Ephesian congregation that they would grow in their knowledge and understanding of God. Verse 16, he says that he ceased, ceases not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, And then what is it that he prayed? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. He He prayed that their eyes would be enlightened. And what was it that the Apostle Paul wanted? The Ephesian congregation To behold? What is it that every pastor desires that the congregation would behold? Paul wanted the Ephesians to behold Christ. Christ, not just as a man, not just as a good example a role model, a faithful prophet, one who could perform miracles, feeding thousands and walking on water. But he desired that they would behold Christ in his glory. That the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they would know the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He desired that they would behold Jesus Christ, not just as a man who walked upon this earth, but that they would be able by faith to behold Jesus Christ in heaven. How encouraging and how uplifting it is to behold Jesus your head who sits enthroned at God's right hand. What was Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is my prayer for you. That God would open the eyes of your understanding that you would be able to behold Christ as your head enthroned at God's right hand. Let's consider this text this evening under the theme, Our Exalted Savior. First, seated at God's right hand. Second, gifted under the church, looking at verse 22. And then, third, filled, looking at verse 23, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all. In all our exalted Savior, seated, gifted, filled. According to verse 21, your Savior is far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Who else can claim that of their God besides the Christian? Our Savior is far above all Principality. Principality refers to the domain or the place where one has rule. Think of a, a king who has a domain in which he exercises control. Domain and then for, or, or principality. For him to rule over that principality, he must have power. The next word, principality and Power power is authority to rule over those who are found within that domain. He gives commandment and the citizens who are found in that principality obey him. To exercise this level of power over the citizens, it's necessary that he have might. The next word, principality, power, and might. Might is simply ability. It's the ability to do as one pleases. Might means that you are not inhibited. There is nothing that holds you or restrains you back from fulfilling that which you desire to do are above all principality, power, might, and dominion. Dominion. Dominion is lordship or government. As the governor executes the duties of his office, he is exercising dominion over others. Where is it that upon this earth we see principality, power, might, and dominion. We can speak on this earth of different spheres where we see these listed out. In the home, there is principality and power that God has given unto the parents. There's a domain where the parents have authority, the right to impose their will upon certain people. They have might given unto them ability, and that ability is given unto them by God Himself. As the parents have the right to teach and instruct their children and even tell their children no. Or is there principality, power, might, dominion? What's found in Another sphere, another circle, it's found in education. How much power is there not in especially the universities of this earth? There's authority that's given to the professors who teach in those institutions. And with that authority, they have the ability even to shape the direction of the students who attend those universities they hold sway and influence because they're respected as scholars or is their power, might, principality? What's well, found in the nations of this earth and the rulers of this earth, kings, presidents, they have a principality, a domain over which they rule. They have might given unto them. They have the ability to exercise dominion over people. To Nebuchadnezzar of old, God gave unto him a certain measure of strength and power. To Hitler, to, Hitler, to Mussolini, to the presidents of the United States. They have a certain measure of power and influence over the people of this earth. Principalities, power, might, dominion. But where especially do we see on this earth principalities, powers at work? Is it not, beloved, especially... The devil, who has power on this earth. Great power. took one third of the angels with him when he fell into sin. Later on in the book of Ephesians, Paul speaks of the amount of power that is given to the devil. Ephesians 6, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the cunning, the methods of the devil. Verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And as the Christian stands before the principality, power, might, and dominion of the devil, it seems as if the, that the, it's, it's hopeless to, try to stand up against him. As he sets temptations before the child of God, it seems that it's futile to attempt even to resist that temptation. For the devil comes to us at just the right time when he knows that we are tired. He knows that we are hungry. And he sets before us that lust of the flesh and we are tempted then to give in to him. And yet, even though it is that there are so many things on this earth that have principality, power, might, and dominion, yet above all of that power is Jesus Christ. Far above all principality and power. No small difference that exists between the power that even the devil has on this earth and the power that Jesus Christ has. Sometimes as parents we solace ourselves that, well, at least I'm one step ahead of my child. At least I can anticipate one moment ahead of my child what the child is going to do so that I can guard the child from evil or prevent the child from becoming injured. But as Jesus Christ stands in distinction from all of the powers of this earth, it is not as if Jesus Christ is just one step ahead of the powers that are found on this earth. But Jesus Christ, as he is described in this text, is far above, all principality, power, might, and dominion. Any power that Hitler or Mussolini had, any power that instructors in the classroom have, any power that the government has, any power that the devil himself has is not a power that, is, that has its source in itself or himself, but it is a power that is derived From Jesus Christ. For he is far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. Above every name that is named. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Why does he have such great power? It's because he's seated. He's seated at God's right hand. Verse 20, which he, God, wrought or worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Figurative language the Apostle Paul uses here for God is spirit and does not have a physical right hand. But as he speaks of God raising Jesus Christ from the dead and then setting Jesus Christ on the right hand of God, he's using symbolic language that speaks of the position of authority and glory and dominion that was given unto Jesus Christ. There was no higher position to which Jesus Christ could have been exalted. That's how we speak as well when we speak of somebody being at our right hand or of somebody being a right-hand man to me. Think of Joseph when he was in Pharaoh's courts. Pharaoh gave unto him power over the land of Egypt, great power as the one who is second only to Pharaoh himself. Thus it is that Joseph was the right-hand man of Pharaoh. Jesus is exalted by God himself, wrought by by the power, wrought by God, worked by God, set at God's right hand. This exaltation was a glorious display of the power of God. For in setting Jesus Christ at God's right hand, God put all things under the feet of Jesus Christ. All things are subject subject unto Jesus. There is nothing on this earth that moves. Nothing on this earth that so much as lifts up a finger apart from Jesus Christ giving commandment. And this becomes all the more Amazing, beloved, when we consider who Jesus Christ is. The text says that it's Christ whom God has set at His right hand. And who is Christ? But a man. He's a real human being. Flesh of our flesh and bone of our bone who suffers Everything on this earth that the people of God suffer, who is tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin, whose body was broken, whose blood spilled forth onto the ground as he was hanged upon that tree. It is now Jesus Christ as man whom God has raised from the dead and God sets him there at his right hand far above all principality power, might and dominion. God in flight. incredible that thought is. We can hardly fathom what it means that someone in the flesh can have so much power. How can someone who is the same flesh that we do, albeit in resurrected form, but who is of our flesh and of our bones, was created out of the dust as we are, could be exalted to God's right hand. The text presents this truth to us not so much for our comprehension as it presents this truth to us for our adoration. How great is our Savior. The Savior who sits at God's right hand is, according to verse 22, gifted to us. 22, And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. There are a number of italicized words second half of verse 22, given to help us understand the meaning, but in this occasion if we omit the italicized words, it makes even more clear the point that the Apostle is making. You could read it this way, "...hath put all under his feet, and gave him the head over all things to the church." God gave Christ to the church. Oh, how the church needs this gift. For consider with me what the church is apart from Jesus Christ. The church as she stands in this world apart from Jesus Christ is very lowly and very humble in this world. The church does not exercise power and dominion and might in this world. The world does not turn to the church for the church's guidance on how to navigate the affairs of this life. But the world ignores the teachings and instructions of the church, scoffs at what the church has to say upon this earth, considers the thinking and the teaching of this church to be backwards thinking. The great principalities and powers of this world not only minimize the place of the church upon this earth, but they even seek to persecute, and make very narrow the place of the church upon this earth. For the world, filled with pride and arrogance, with the principality and power and might and dominion that is given unto it, imagines that it has no need for the church. And so, what do the worldly principalities and powers do toward the church then? They mock the church. The professors in that secular university and sometimes, sadly, even in Christian universities will make the students in the classroom feel that they have no understanding at all if they believe that God created everything in six 24-hour days Who are you to believe that? How lowly and how humble the place of the church is as she stands in comparison to the world. Throughout the the Old Testament, the church was the victim of the world's hate and persecution. The Israelites captured by the Babylonians became the plaything of the nations of the earth at that point in time. And what was true in the Old Testament continues in the New Testament. The church continues to be the object of the ridicule, scorn, hate of the world. How lowly is the church apart from Christ. And then what makes this all the more serious as we consider the church is not only is it the case that the world persecutes her, but also this the church is made up of sinners. What's the church apart from Jesus Christ? Totally depraved people. What's the church apart from Jesus Christ? People who are not faithful, but faithless people who are not strong and courageous in battle, the people who are cowards. What is the church apart from Jesus Christ? It's people who are given over unto the lusts of the flesh, people who behave in a way that is no different than how the people of the world behave. And so it's possible then for us as members of the church to lose perspective of, of the fact that God has given unto the church Jesus Christ. How often do we, do, do we not tend to evaluate the status and the strength of the church apart from Jesus Christ? We consider the circumstances in which we are placed, and we do so with natural eyes, and consider whether or not the church is going to be able to persevere according to her own strength and her own wisdom. And inevitably, whenever we evaluate the condition of the church upon this earth, apart from the fact that God has gifted the church Jesus Christ, the conclusion is that it is hopeless, is it not? For who are we to stand up against the great powers that are found in this world? Who is wise enough? Who is cunning enough? Who is strong enough? As we see the advancement and the development of wickedness and evil upon the face of this earth, it seems hopeless at times unto us. It seems as if, the world with all of its might and power and ungodliness is going to just roll right over the church and the church is going to be destroyed by the world. So what sense is there even in resisting the world? I was reading a book recently about the German occupation of the Netherlands at the time of World War II. There, our grandparents, great grandparents in the Netherlands watched as the great war machine of Germany came rolling in over the nation. And the reports of, rather the mentality of many in the Netherlands at that time was, why bother resisting? It is futile to resist. All of the power was with Hitler and the Germans at the start of World War II. And so at best, the Dutch and the Netherlands hoped that they could retain some of their Dutch culture and assimilate that into a nation that now was going to be ruled by the Germans. And how often is that not our mentality, beloved, as we stand before the world? With its power. As the devil goes forth with great principality and power and might and dominion, at times we can think that, well, it's inevitable that the great war machine of the devil is going to sweep over great sections of the church, but perhaps we can retain some of our Christian culture. Perhaps we can retain some aspects of Christian living upon this earth even though we understand that the devil is going to hold sway over great sections of the church. You see how easily we become hopeless as members of the church. And so it's needful then that we be reminded of this gift that God has given to the church. It is to this church, chosen by God, that God in love gives the gift of the exalted Christ and hath put all things under his feet and gave him the head over all things to the church. No greater gift could be imagined that we have received For Christ was given unto us, the members of the church, for our interest. It was for the church's benefit that God gave unto the church upon this earth, the exalted, the transcendent, the omnipotent Jesus Christ. It's not as if God gives unto the church false hope and giving unto us the gift of Jesus Christ. It's not as if God gave unto the church a box that is wrapped up beautifully with wrapping paper and has a bow on top of that box. And then the members of the church eagerly pull back the wrapping paper of that box and peer inside of it and find that there's nothing inside. No, that's not the gift that God has given unto the church. But God gives unto us a gift that is for our good. An unspeakable gift. A gift that we did not ask for. And a gift that in our fallen state we did not deserve. But a gift that endures throughout all generations. For Christ can never be taken away from the church to which he has been given. Having received this gift from God of the exalted Jesus Christ, we lack nothing. Oh, what a blessing we have that Jesus Christ has given us. He is our head who rules over all things. And so it is that every evil that comes against the church, every principality and power that seeks to fight against the church, to make very narrow the place of the church upon this earth, to overcome the church or to lead the church into temptation, comes according to the command of Jesus Christ himself for he is far above all principality power might and dominion god gives jesus christ the head over all things to the church by faith 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 unites us with jesus christ not that physically Jesus Christ walks upon this earth. But by faith God gives unto us the blessings earned by His Son. How this gift cost God. It wasn't a free gift. It cost Him His only begotten Son who died on the cross for our sakes so that God could give him to us. By faith, we receive him as our head and by faith, we believe that we are his body, which, according to verse 23, is the fullness of him that filleth All in all. The Church is the fullness of Jesus Christ who fills all in all. Do you see the paradox here? Christ already fills. All in all. But now Christ, who fills all in all, has fullness given him. The church is the fullness of him who already fills all in all. It's not as if Jesus Christ needs the church. For Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, was complete in the Godhead. A God in love gave the church unto Jesus Christ. So that the church now is the fullness of him that filleth all in all. What a bold statement this is to say that we who are the members of the church are the fullness of Jesus Christ. If this were not contained here in the Holy Scriptures, you would hardly dare to say it. That you and I are the fullness of Christ. It seems pompous, arrogant to make such an assertion. But beloved, it is not arrogance, but it is childlike faith that testifies that we who are the church are the fullness of Jesus Christ. God has privileged us to have this position. We are the fullness of Jesus Christ, not because of who we are by nature, but because of God's eternal adoption of us. Fullness. The same word is used in the scriptures to speak of the twelve baskets of food. Remnants that were gathered after Jesus Christ performed the miracle of feeding thousands of people with five loaves and two fishes disciples went around with the baskets and filled them. Just as the baskets were filled with food, so the church is the fullness of Jesus Christ. He is complete with the church. How comforting it is for us to know That the church is the fullness of Christ. Being the fullness of Christ who fills all in all means that in Jesus Christ we belong. It could be that some struggle with a sense of belonging. That some feel as if their place on this earth is very small. Could be even that in some marriages a spouse is made to feel by the sinful actions of the other spouse to feel unworthy of love. Could be that a child by the sinful actions of the parents, feel unworthy of the love and affection of the parents. May God graciously forbid that that be the case in the church. But if that is your case, then may you be given to know God's love for you in Jesus Christ. And that as a member of the church, you belong to the company of those who are the fullness of Jesus Christ. With you, the people of God in the church, Jesus Christ is full. How humbling, how amazing, how encouraging is that thought. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, we thank Thee for the unspeakable gift of Thy Son, Jesus Christ, which Thou hast given unto us merely of grace. Will Thou strengthen us with resolve that we might live as those who are married unto Jesus Christ, as those who are His glorious bride, adorned with the white robes of righteousness, heirs of the grace of light, Send us home with thy blessing and keep us in the week that is ahead. For Jesus' sake, amen.